Well, it's good to be back with you after uh, having been gone for almost two weeks in Fiji. And uh, it's good to, to sing here um, at Lakeside Bible Church and to worship and pray together and just fellowship with all of you. And whenever uh, I have a chance to go on a, on a mission trip, I'm always torn as to know how much to share. Um, when I come back, do I just share briefly and then preach a sermon and or take the whole time to share? And um, this was one of those trips that um, there was just too much going on to not share a lot. And uh, I had, had, had planned to have a, a special Father's Day message uh, this morning. In fact, I already had it picked out when I was in Fiji and was thinking through what I wanted to share with you this morning. And then the, the longer we stayed there and the more opportunities we had to minister to people. And then on the way home, just meditating on all that we'd experienced on the plane and um, just thinking, man, I just got to share my heart um, with you. Uh, and, and just uh, because, uh, as we said when we left, that we really feel whenever Kel and I have a chance to share, I know any, any of you that have gone on a missions trip, you feel very much like you're simply re- representing Lakeside Bible Church, that you're the hands and feet of, of, of this local body of believers, and we are collectively um, serving the body of Christ worldwide. And uh, there's no greater joy for us than to be able to represent you guys um, in these overseas contexts and to open up God's Word, just like we do every Sunday here, and essentially teach things that um, God has forged in our hearts here uh, through all the series we've gone through and all the books we've studied, and um, rarely, if ever, do I, do I ever teach anything new. Uh, I simply go back and teach something, uh, take with me messages that have been developed here and have been preached from this pulpit first, and uh, I just take those things and share them uh, with other people in other places. And so, um, all that to say, guys, I hope you will uh, forgive me ahead of time uh, here for not uh, addressing you particularly today uh, on this special day, um, but I think, I think we'll be okay because uh, we're going to be talking about some manly stuff today, and uh, we're going to be talking about some manly men, and uh, when uh, Scott popped into my office and said, hey, do you got a title for today's message for the live stream? I said, yeah, call it Cannibalism to Christianity, and he said, okay. <laughs> he walked out and he came back in a minute later and he said, do you want me to put a subtitle like Father's Day message? I'm like, why not? You know, it sounds kind of manly. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's the title, Cannibalism to Christianity. And I, I want to just begin by sharing with you uh, just a few pictures that I think will give you a glimpse into the timeline um, of our ministry in Fiji and the people that we had the opportunity to meet and serve alongside, and then we'll get into God's Word a bit, and uh, I'll share some more uh, with you from that vantage point. So um, Jacob's going to just pop some pictures up here, and uh, oh, look at that. Nice job, man. Title slide. Um, but let's go ahead and look at the slide. We'll just kind of, well, look at, look at you guys. That wasn't me, okay? These guys, are, these guys are Mr. Fancy Pants back there doing all this stuff. So yeah, that's about how, that's about how far it was. It was a uh, uh, a flight to, from Houston to LA, and then like a 11 or 12 hour flight from uh, Houston to, or excuse me, from LA to, to Fiji. That's, by the way, the reason why most Americans go to Hawaii and not Fiji, right? Um, it's a, quite a ways away. So there we were in LA getting ready to get on our 11.30 p.m. flight that gets in the next day, or I guess really a day later at 5.30 in the morning, uh, where, where, by the way, we were greeted by these uh, men in their bula shirts and their man skirts, I call them. They're really called Sulus, but my wife said, don't call it a man skirt. You're going to offend them. Like, it's a man skirt. Come on. And they're in their man skirt and they're, they're playing on their little things, ukuleles, and they're singing at 5.30 in the morning. I'm like, guys, this is way too early to be singing right now. But they were so happy to see us. And uh, we, we uh, were immediately whisked away by Michael Seahus. And most of you recognize Michael. Uh, this is Del and Vicky's uh, son. Uh, youngest child and uh, one more missionary in the family. We, we've gotten to know the, the Hurleys, um, obviously in Uganda. Well, Michael's accepted the call uh, to go to Fiji with his wife. Uh, and um, why am I blanking on her name right now? 
Jordan, thank you. Uh, Michael and Jordan and their two kids are going to be, uh, they're raising support right now, and they're going to be, Lord willing, heading out by the end of the year uh, to uh, join up with uh, the folks at Fiji Bible College um, to uh, start a biblical counseling ministry. So it's right up his alley. That's what his training is in. And so uh, there is a tremendous need there for biblical counseling, which you're going to hear about in a moment. But um, anyway, so Michael uh, met us there, picked us up at the airport and brought us to uh, Fiji Bible College, which the official name is the College of Theology and Evangelism Fiji, because you're not allowed to say anything Fiji first, except unless it's Fiji water, Fiji rugby, Fiji, right, official government stuff. So they call it the College of Theology and Evangelism, the oldest Bible college in the country. Uh, started back in 1974 by a, 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 name, a guy named Dr. Nair, uh, which you're going to meet in just a second. Um, this is one of his younger associates named Pramin um, Choi. Uh, he's a, a native Indo-Fijian, uh, which means he's of Indian descent, um, but was born and raised in Fiji. In, in, in Fiji. And uh, he's a recent graduate of the Master's Seminary, and he's back there, and he's going to be probably the one that Dr. Nair hands the baton off uh, to. Uh, Dr. Nair is 81 years old, and uh, he's getting up there, uh, but still as spry as you can imagine. It's probably a sweet tooth that keeps him going. Um, it's really cute, this guy, this little old man, you're going to see him, uh, loves his sweets. But anyway, this is Pramin, and he was giving us um, a tour of the Bible College, uh, which again is a, gives you go, go to the next slide and kind of gives you a feel for stuff, um, kind of how it looks and um, uh, bougainvillea is everywhere. I mean, it was just beautiful, and uh, this was us getting a tour here. And then uh, go ahead to the next uh, slide. And then uh, they, in order to keep us awake, right? You gotta they get they make make us do things so we can't just take naps. So they took us to the garden of the sleeping giant. I said that's not fair. I want to be sleeping, and you're taking me to the Garden of a Sleeping Giant, okay? But apparently that uh, mountain range looks like a sleeping giant if you're back far enough. That's not far enough away, but uh, it reminded us of, of Jurassic Park. We were waiting for the velociraptors to come out and stuff. But anyway, go on. What, what is unique about this particular uh, tourist site, if you will, it's the largest orchid collection, I guess, in the South Pacific. So some beautiful flowers all over the place. And then, uh, go ahead to the next slide, and uh, here is Michael and, and uh, Pramin. Again, they're going to be co-laborers there uh, shortly uh, at, the, at the Bible College, and hopefully for years to come, these are two young men that, that just have a bright future serving the Lord in, in the nation of Fiji. And then, next slide, um, this is our uh, co-laborers, uh, Kim and Rick Holland. I think most of you guys remember Rick from either a man camp or a a conference that we've done here at the church over the years, and they are presently serving at Mission Road Bible Church in Kansas City, Missouri, and so they're dear friends, and it was really fun to get caught up, uh, and it always seemed like one of us was a twin, like Rick and I were twins that day, and no kidding, the next morning, uh, or I guess the first day of the conference, the girls went down, unbeknownst to one another, to the, uh, to the dining area, and they were wearing the same exact dress that they had bought like 10 years ago somewhere, and it was really funny. But uh, anyway, so they're dear friends, and so it was a real joy and a blessing to get caught up with them. They're in the same stage of life as we are. Their, their oldest son just graduated college. Their youngest is just going into college, and so we had a lot to catch up on. And so next slide. Um, this was Sunday morning, the first Sunday there. Uh, we got to preach at different churches, and Rick went to one church, and I went to another church, and... Uh, there was, um, uh, they, they, they have a fellowship of Bible churches, and uh, I liked them already just because it was a Bible church movement there. And uh, these guys, the Fiji Bible College has started this Bible church fellowship, uh, and a lot of their graduates are planning churches or replanting churches. And so they brought together a handful of them at, at this church and a handful of them where Rick preached. And so this was an opportunity uh, to teach, this was a, a Hindi church. Which, uh, which, if you know anything about India, that's one of the main languages in India. And this is what probably surprised me the most about this trip, um, just from a practical standpoint. I wasn't uh, aware of how uh, strong of an Indian influence is in Fiji. Uh, as you know, I've been to India, I think, close to 10 times now. And so 
I'm very familiar with that culture. But I got there and we, we started driving out of the airport and all the shops, Kelly said, hey, look, it looks just like India. And, uh, and then, of course, the palm trees and things that makes it look very much like Goa. So those of you that went to Goa with us this last fall, uh, you would have thought you were in Goa. And so what happened, where, where, this, uh, uh, where this came from was back in the, in the mid-1800s when Britain was colonizing the Fijian Islands, there was uh, sugar cane that needed to be harvested and, and the Fijians didn't want to do it. And so they went, took some boats to India and promised them five years of, of wonderful life in Fiji and, and, well, they basically tricked them and uh, they became these indentured servants to harvest all this sugar cane. Well, after their five years was up and they were, they were released to go home, they all stayed. And, uh, and so they began to intermingle with the Fijians. And, uh, and so you look around and you're not sure really, are, are you from India? Are you from Fiji? And uh, most of them now today are from Fiji, but they have Indian descent. And so a lot of the main companies, it's just interesting uh, some of the, the, the culture there, um, all, all the, you know, Indians are very resourceful, generally speaking. And so when they got out of the sugarcane fields, they said, hey, let's develop the business here. And uh, the Fijians are just kind of hanging loose, right? Doing, just chilling on Fiji time, right? And uh, here come the Indians and they're like getting serious about business and they're building businesses and they're, they're, they're populating, right? They're, they're, they're reproducing. And it was almost like uh, an Egyptian situation where they thought the Jews, right, the Israelites were going to overpower them, and so they started killing the babies. Well, they didn't do that. They, they, they um, organized coups uh, to reassert their power, the Fijians, to reassert their rule and their power uh, to, to the point where it scared off a lot of the Indians who left um, because they were fearful for their lives or financially it was difficult for them. So just it was an interesting dynamic. So here in this church, they were singing half the songs in Fiji or uh, in Hindi and half the songs in English. And in fact, my sermon was uh, wrapped up at the very end by Pramin with just kind of a little summary, uh, five minutes uh, in Hindi, just to make sure everybody got the point. So I was like, really? Five? You're like, hey, I wish I went to that church, man. Five minute sermons? That sounds like the church for me. But anyway, we had a great time fellowshipping with the church. Um, and, and, and the first thing that just impressed Kelly and I probably more than anything else was just their simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. I mean, they're just simple folks who just love the Lord. And uh, they har- have hardly anything. In fact, w- I opened up the bulletin for that morning and uh, they listed all the offerings for the churches, the Fellowship of Bible Churches, and, and one of the offerings this previous Sunday was, was $44 American money. It was 88 Fijian dollars, right? But that's, you cut it in half. So $44 was the offering in that church. And that's just an indication that, you know, the part of Fiji that most of us in the Western world don't get is it's a third world country. And it's very impoverished. And, and the people have very little uh, to live on. And yet there, as most cases in those third world countries, those that have come to know Christ, they're the happiest people on the planet. And it's super convicting to be around them because you see what they don't have that you have and they're way happier and content than you are, right? So just was a blessing and a joy to be with them. Very sweet people. And go ahead, let's go, go to the next slide. Uh, this is Pramin and his wife and their little daughter, Abigail. Uh, they also have an, another older daughter that's going to be going to the Masters University next year. So, or the, excuse me, this fall, I guess, is when she's going. But anyway, this was after church, so sweet couple. Go ahead and, um, and, uh, and, then, and then after Sunday, that Sunday afternoon, we drove four hours from Latoka. We were in Latoka, which is by the main airport, Nandi, um, on the western side, the west side of, the, of Fiji, the large island. And, uh, and we drove four hours uh, to the other side, to the capital, uh, Suva, and uh, this was the entourage, okay? This was our, our group, uh, Rick and Kim, of course. They're, oh, there's their matching dresses. I, I told you they, they were matching that day, and it was kind of funny. But, uh, and, and of course, Michael, and this gentleman uh, to his left was a friend from Johnny and Friends Ministry, where Michael works right now, and uh, he graciously traveled with Michael over there just to kind of help him get set up and think through transition things for his family, which was really sweet of him. And then this is Henry uh, and, and uh, um, 
Big guy. Rodney, that's right. How could I forget Rodney? So these guys here, uh, the, man, the man in the man skirt, right? That's Henry. And, uh, and his big buddy to the, to the left of him there is uh, Rodney. And, and they were just like, uh, they were our bodyguards, basically, you know? <laughs> that's what I called them. You guys are our bodyguards. So they were these uh, guys from America, Samoa, that had come down just to help host the conference. They had a connection with the Bible college there. And uh, they were just at our waiting on us hand and foot. I mean, they were so kind and so generous. And, and, um, and uh, anyway, this guy looked so cool with those man, be- man skirt and man beads, you know, man necklace. You know, I was like, dude, you are rocking that outfit. Uh, he looked really good, all in black there. But uh, anyway, that, that was kind of who he hung out with the entire week, getting back and forth to the church that we're going to see right now. Um, go to the next slide. So here's Pramin, and, and there we were. By the way, I'm, I'm wearing that guy's beads because... Uh, the next day, uh, after lunch, he, he, he took them off and he put them on me. He said, I want you to have this. And, uh, and come to find out, they, they belonged to his son. And uh, so they were kind of a really sentimental value. And so I wore those the rest of the week. I, wanted to not, I didn't want to dishonor that guy, right? I wanted to honor him and that gift. And I said, I can't take this. And he goes, listen, man, you come to America, Samoa, you don't refuse a gift. That's an insult. I said, yes, sir. Any guy who's man enough to wear a skirt, I'm not going to mess with, right? So anyway, so I was wearing those, and so this was our team. Go ahead, next slide. And this is a picture of the, the church. It was a meth, big Methodist church. That's the main Protestant denomination in uh, Fiji is Methodist. And so this was a big Methodist church, and this was where we were, did the conference. There were some 200 or so folks, uh, pastors and wives, Christian leaders, um, really from all over, not just the main island, but all sorts of little islands. Um, uh, Fiji has 300 plus islands, uh, a third of which are inhabited. So only about a little over 100 of them are inhabited. Um, so there's Henry rocking another America Samoa shirt there um, with, his, with his beads. Um, so anyway, again, the people were, I commanded them, they were expository listeners. We know what that is, right? I mean, they, they received the word um, not as the word of man, but as it actually is the word of God. And uh, man, they were just hanging on every word. I think obviously the subject matter of marriage and family, that just connects with anybody anywhere around the world. Same issues, same problems, same challenges, same frustrations. And so it was just a joy to be able to teach um, about marriage and family. In fact, I wanted to, to read for you. I don't... Uh, I don't look at our Facebook page, and I don't I imagine many of you don't look at our Facebook page either, our church's web, our, our, our Facebook page, and I wouldn't have known this had not Jasmine sent it to me, but this is just one lady who happened to be there, um, uh, and uh, this is what she posted. She said, today was the last day of a five-day seminar that I had been attending here in Suva, Fiji. I have so incredibly, uh, I've been so incredibly blessed by the lessons imparted with such real-life illustrations by your Dr. Ken Ramey. She's writing to us, essentially, on our Facebook page. Uh, his personal and their joint experiences as a couple that he shared as examples and how I can practically, realistically live out what God has instructed in the Bible has been so encouraging, inspirational. I know, I know now how to put the biblical principles I had always know, known into action. It was such a huge relief to learn that I had not failed and that it's not too late and just my being there to receive all that I did is proof that God has a purpose for me and what I had learned to have a usefulness. Praise the Lord. I am a widow with four children and a granddaughter. So yes, definitely so blessed to have been there. So just this one uh, gal who was, um, again, sitting on the edge of her seat, uh, just really receiving the word of God as it was taught. And, and of course, go ahead to the next slide. Um, there was always a, a little tea break. Um, they, they do uh, English tea because it's a British, a formerly a British colony, right? They have their, uh, their freedom now. And, of course, the ladies had to, every, every time we were at the, in the tea room, uh, these ladies were there like this the whole time with their fans keeping the flies off the food. So you just had to grab something that a fly hadn't landed on and, or at least pray it hadn't landed on and done anything to it. But uh, anyway, next slide. So here, here's our... Our two guys taking good care of us, taking us out to lunch, and, and uh, just, just a load of laughs, and, and just so generous and hospitable. Their hearts were as big as they are, so uh, it was really a blessing, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if we end up in America Samoa at some point on some trip, because they were like, dude, you got to come to America Samoa, and 
we're going to teach you how to eat, man. And uh, these guys, apparently, they, they do a lot of eating there in America Samoa. Um, so anyway, uh, and I'll explain that the next. Okay, there's Henry. Next slide. Speaking of eating, okay. Uh, yeah, exactly. So that shows up on the Lazy Susan around, and I apologize if there are any Susans in there. I don't know how you got dubbed on this Lazy Susan thing, but anyway, they had this big Lazy Susan, and this thing comes flying around. I'm like, okay, I think I'll let that keep going. Just keep spinning that sucker, you know? But uh, so anyway, I mean, it was really tasty, and, and, but this is the crazy thing. So we're pulling off the flesh and, and getting the piece of that, right? And, and Henry, the crazy American Samoan guy that gave me the beads, He's over there, literally, he, he took the tail and he took the head. And the whole time I'm hearing crunch, 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 and I'm, it was like just grossing me out thinking the dude's eating the tail. And then he goes to the head and he starts eating the head and he's like, it's fried. And I'm like, well, you fit right into Texas because we fry everything in Texas too. But anyway, I mean, I, the guy just, he says, hey man, these people provided this for us, we got to eat it you know, to, to let them know we appreciate it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad you're here to eat those parts, and I'll, eat, I'll stick to the, to the center part. But uh, what, what, just a grateful guy and uh, with a cast iron stomach, apparently. He thought, man, I'm glad I'm not your stomach because I'm not sure how you're going to process all that. What's the next uh, slide? And then here's Kelly teaching in the evenings, and this was the, uh, the first time they ever had a woman's portion of the conference. So Kelly and Kim got to launch that kind of the inaugural women's event. And so in the evenings, the ladies would go back um, to teach the women. And uh, usually there was a, a shower involved in the morning and then in the afternoon. And then once after the thing was over, because uh, Fiji makes Houston feel not so humid. Um, it's just very, very humid and muggy. And uh, this church was not, uh, didn't have any air conditioning, which is a lot of fans. And so you're just, just completely sweaty when you're done, you know, and we're up there teaching. And I can't imagine, you know, I'm having a hard time concentrating teaching. I can't imagine how hard it would be. Can you imagine sitting, let's just say, let's just sit outside right now, okay? And how long could you pay attention to a sermon, right? Uh, these guys listen for hours at a time uh, in these very non-conducive for listening uh, environments, but uh, so that was the women's event, and uh, Kelly and Kim had a great time ministering to those gals. Uh, what's the next picture? Oh, this is, uh, um, man, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the, Peter, thank you. This is Peter from Australia, and uh, he was a good mate, and uh, he was there. Uh, he had a prison ministry uh, in Fiji. Uh, he openly admitted that he had spent time in prison in Australia for corporate fraud, and uh, that was something that God did in his life and, and, and gave him a burden for, for prison ministry. And so he was there with his wife, and he was so blessed and encouraged. And again, wearing a man's skirt, so um, I liked him. He was a man's man. All right, next slide. Um, and here he is. This is the legend that I couldn't wait to meet, that I'd heard all about. Uh, in fact, when I was in Singapore, uh, on the last couple of trips there, the pastor there told me about this guy named Dr. Nair, 81 years old, had been faithfully serving the Lord in Fiji, very humble, very unassuming, kind of quiet, behind-the-scenes kind of guy, but God had used him um, to, to start this Bible college and then this conference ministry, and I mean, the guy, I couldn't believe how busy he was for an 81-year-old man. He put me to shame as far as how how. Uh, devoted to, to ministry he was. And um, anyway, there's so much I could say about him, but Rick and I were sitting there uh, during the first session, which he, he opened up the conference with the first message, and he basically just preached Romans 1, and you remember how that went here, right, about all the craziness that's going on in our world today regarding marriage and family, and, and, and uh, even had pictures up on the screen of like you know, homosexual couples and transgender situations, and then a big question about what, ne what next, and I mean, he just like, boom, just hit it hard, and Rick and I are going, okay, I guess there's nothing we can say after what he just said that's going to offend these people, <laughs> and, uh, but he just committed to the Lord, committed to the Word, and uh, he, I really felt like we were spending time with the remnant in, in Fiji, and what I mean by that, this, this is the, 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 the conservative, doctrinally sound 
uh, guy uh, in in the in the country, and and uh, has just kind of kept uh, the church on the straight and narrow, especially with the influence of Pentecostalism. And you can imagine that the charismatic church would be um, very uh, well received there. The prosperity gospel, the health wealth stuff, uh, all the crazy music and light show kind of Christianity that that appeals to any, uh, I guess, culture that's come out of animism and, and worshiping ancestors and spirits and all that kind of stuff. It just kind of fits perfectly into their kind of who they are. And so he's really stood his ground against the charismania that's kind of being um, exported to all these different countries. And so, um, and, and he got right up and was very bold. There was, there was a number of women there who were pastors uh, in the Methodist church there in Fiji. And, and so he was very blunt and just said, ladies, we're so glad you're here. But just so you know, we believe that the Bible clearly teaches that a woman should not be a pastor. I mean, he's just saying this stuff from the front, and, uh, but very lovingly, very graciously, but just, he was, he was no nonsense guy. And so he had our respect even before we arrived, and so we just felt very honored, very humbled to serve alongside um, this guy that, you know, probably not until we get to heaven will we know the extent of his ministry. There'll probably be a never, a never be a book written about this guy or, you know, whatever, um, a documentary done about him, but uh, he's a very influential man in Fiji. All right, next slide. These are some of the, the war weapons. We, they, they took us to the, the Museum of Fiji History, which is very fascinating. I'm going to tell you more about that in a second, but that just gives you a, a picture of some of the, the war clubs, uh, the weapons. Um, used to uh, break people's necks and um, crush their skulls, those little clubs down at the bottom. That big thing there in the center was, uh, they would just shove it into a guy's chest and turn it and split them wide open is kind of the way they would, that was one way to kill a guy, right, back then. So uh, we saw that. And then uh, in the same museum, uh, they don't try to hide this or cover this up. This is in the the, the Fiji History Museum in the capital city of Suva. And, and here it is, the, the, the leather um, soles of one of the missionaries named Thomas Baker uh, who was cannibalized uh, when he came to bring the gospel uh, for the first time to Fiji. And uh, that's all that's left of him is his shoes, the bottom of his shoes. And there's his Bible in the next slide. Uh, shows the, the instrument that was used to serve his flesh to one of the chief, chiefs of the village. Uh, apparently it was in that bowl, and uh, they used that fork, and uh, that's how they served him up for dinner. Um, and so they, that's part of the history of Fiji. And so very moving time just to go through that and consider the, the history of Fiji and where it's come and and the effect of the gospel there. But go ahead, on to the next slide. And then the last Sunday, uh, we were invited, uh, kind of, this was a cherry on top of the Sunday. We weren't expecting to do this, but they asked us uh, if we would preach one more time. And so this was Latoka Bible Church. This is back on the west side of the island. And uh, this is a a little church that used to be in a rice field where Dr. Nair's wife's father um, and, 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 and her grew up. And so it's really a sentimental place. Um, go ahead to the next slide. And uh, this was on the back wall, and I was just kind of waiting to, to, for the service to start, and I took a picture of this because I thought, you could have put Lakeside Bible Church in there, and it would have fit. Latoka Bible Church. Um, we emphasize Christ as Savior, the Bible as authoritative for faith and practice, believer's baptism, a regenerate church membership, in other words, church members are actually saved. Um, a commitment to the unity, growth, and ministry of the church and the lordship of Christ. And then our leadership, the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The church business is conducted under his leadership by the board of elders, made up of committed lay leaders who have a responsibility for spiritual oversight and the administration of church business. I thought, you go, Latoka Bible Church. And uh, it was such a blessing to feel like, you know, we had found a like-minded people there in Fiji. And uh, 
what a blessing to, to serve with them and minister to them uh, on those Sundays that we were there. Okay, next slide. And uh, we had the privilege of going out to lunch afterwards with Dr. Nair and his wife, Savita. And uh, you would have loved, I wish you could have been a fly on the wall. I mean, just the cutest little couple, uh, both in their 80s, and uh, just faithfully serving the Lord. And, uh, and, and, and boy, talk about spunky. If, if, if he's not spunky, she's twice as spunky. And she actually went into the kitchen in the restaurant to tell the chef how to make her meal for her. And, and when, when she was in there, he said, yeah, she's kind of picky, is what she said. It was really funny to, how cute they were interacting with one another, and, and, uh, but uh, just a dear couple, and, and it was encouraging that one thing I remember is we were there at the little tea time after the service before we went to lunch, and, and um, these young boys came in, probably junior high, high school age, and uh, they were kind of, you could tell they were a little timid to approach Dr. Nair, because he's like, they call him Papa. So he's known as Papa. He's, he's kind of the grandfather figure for the younger people in the church. And so uh, they, they came up to him. And I didn't un- see what they were, I couldn't hear what they were saying. I just watched him interact and it was so sweet. And I, I heard him just say, yeah, whenever, you just tell me when. And Saturday's fine with me. And, and, and he was just, and you could tell, it was almost like a grandfather talking to his grandsons. And we got in the van and he said, uh, I said, hey, what were those young boys talking to you about? They said, well, they know that I meet with the up and coming elders uh, in the church on Sunday mornings, early before church. And uh, it's crazy. He gets there like at 5.30 to meet with these guys before church. I'm like, bro, that would, I didn't call him bro, but I said, man, that would, that would mess me up, showing up on Sunday at 5.30. I got my message on my mind, and you know, he gets there at 5.30. He meets with these up-and-coming elders. He trained these younger men. Well, uh, the younger men below that saw that. They found out that he was meeting with, with these guys, and so they came to him that Sunday and said, hey, would you meet with us? And, uh, and, and of course, he was like, absolutely, I'll meet with you. You tell me when, and I'll be there. And so it was just really cool to see this man mentoring the men, um, this older man mentoring the younger men in, in the church. And so uh, they're legends. They're our heroes. We hope we can grow up, you know, be like them when we grow up. And uh, so anyway, it was just a, a joy to be with them. We felt like we were kind of just on holy ground with them. It was really just sweet. And then uh, next slide. And that's the Fiji that you usually think of, right? Uh, the beach and the waves and the islands and the next slide, the sunsets, right? And then there it is. And so we, we were able to uh, take advantage of the fact that we were already there, right, in uh, Fiji to celebrate our anniversary. So we got to do that for a few days, uh, 28 years uh, back in May 19th, which just got totally forgotten because of our kids' graduation. So it was kind of fun uh, to be, uh, it was purposely forgotten. Uh, we, 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 we hit it because uh, we wanted to have the emphasis and focus be on, on our kiddos. So anyway, that was a blessing to be able to enjoy that. But um, anyway, having shared all that, I want to just um, frame the, the rest of my thoughts with a couple of Old Testament texts, okay? So take your Bibles and turn, first of all, to Psalm 97, Psalm 97, and then if you want, you can also keep your finger there and then turn to Isaiah 42. And uh, both of these texts refer to the coming of Christ, his first coming and his second coming, Um, but primarily his mission, why did he come? He came to make people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, worshipers, excuse me, Worshippers of the one true God. We, we just sang about that, right? Let the nations praise him. And so that was the mission of Christ when he came. Psalm 97, verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many, what? Islands be glad. Why? Verse 9, for you are the Lord most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. And then turn over to Isaiah 42, and this is one of the uh, first um, references to the coming servant, Jesus Christ. Verse 1, Isaiah 42, verse 1, behold my servant, that's Jesus Christ, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then jump down to verse 5. Thus says 
God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord who have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, talking about his servant Jesus Christ, to open blind eyes to bring prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. When Christ comes into a culture, the old religion is gone and the new Religion has come, if you will. Sing to the Lord a new song, verse 10. Sing his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in in it, you islands and those who dwell on them. Verse 12, let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. I think that's interesting in light of the context, obviously, of the islands, but um, a warrior, unlike any warrior that these warlike people ever met, was what eventually conquered their souls for Christ, right? Christ was that warrior who came and, and really uh, caused these warriors to um, bow the knee and submit to the ultimate warlord, if you will, Jesus Christ. With those two passages kind of just lingering in the back of our minds, hopefully the comments I'm going to make from here on out will remind you of some of these verses and some of these sentences but when people from America hear about Fiji, what typically comes into our minds is a beautiful destination, vacation spot in the South Pacific, white sand beaches and tropical breezes and palm trees and coconuts and sunsets. And by the way, that's all true along the coast. Um, all you need to do is go a little bit inland and you'll see the real Fiji and uh, the poverty of it all, but uh, Kel and I concluded that uh, what Hawaii is to the Americans, uh, Fiji is to the Australians and New Zealanders and uh, a number of, and a lot of Asians. It seemed like that's all of who was at the resorts and things were these uh, Australians and, and New Zealanders. Of course, it's so close uh, to their islands um, or continents, I guess, um, but uh, for us here in the States, I think the, the closest that most of us will ever come to Fiji is drinking one of these things right here, right? That's about as close as most of us are going to get. And um, by the way, Kel and I drank more bottles of Fiji water in 10 days than we have drank in our entire lives. In fact, we told the people there, they kept handing us these bottles of Fiji water. We're like, you know, we don't drink this in America. It's too expensive. This is like the most expensive water you can buy in the States. And so we like drink the, you know, no-name brand. So this, is, this was like the Ozarka of Fiji. And they just were handing this stuff out everywhere you went. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Let's put something of this in our pockets. And load our suitcases up with this stuff, right? I mean, this is like gold here. But anyway, um, I think sadly, the, the extent of most Christians' knowledge about Fiji, and I'm including myself in this, is that they collect and distribute the earth's finest water. That's what they claim, right? The earth's finest water. And this is what we think of, of Fiji. Or, or maybe, maybe they're some of the world's uh, or the earth's most hospitable people. Um, but what many of us don't realize, and I didn't realize this, that before they became such a welcoming group of people, they were some of the most feared, savage, warring people in the world. I bet if any of you ever heard of Fiji or thought about Fiji, this is not what came to your mind. A little different than a Fiji water bottle. This is what they refer to as a cannibal fork. And this is one of the 
most popular souvenirs that you can buy uh, in Fiji, along with the war clubs in all shapes and sizes that I, that I shared with you. In fact, that's what I really wanted to bring home with us, um, but uh, Kelly talked me out of it since she thought TSA wouldn't probably let me bring a neck breaker or a skull crusher um, on the plane with us, so this could fit in the suitcase. It was safe, right? So this is what I got, but Whenever I travel overseas, you know, if you've been in my office, you see my little missionary collection, if you will, of stuff. I always try to bring something home to put in my office. This is serve as a reminder of that particular trip, as well as a representation of that foreign culture. And, uh, and so I brought back rugby balls, cricket bats, African artifacts, musical instruments, pieces of clothing, etc. Um, I did grab a, 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 a Fiji rugby ball. Um, and again, I didn't even know this about Fiji. Some of you probably knew this. Back in 2016 in the Fiji Olympics, or the Fiji Olympics, excuse me, the Rio uh, Olympics in Rio was the first year that they uh, had sevens rugby. And uh, it's, a, it's a much quicker, smaller version of like real rugby, if you will. And seven guys on the side, seven minutes a half. And, uh, and, and so Fiji won the gold medal first and only medal they've ever won in the Olympics. And uh, the whole country stopped to watch their boys play in Rio. And they said, you got to watch this. It's on YouTube. And so I did. I went. It's like 19 minutes. And uh, man, they destroyed Great Britain. I mean, it was like a landslide victory. It was what the 1980 Olympic hockey team, U.S. hockey team beating the Russians, right? The miracle on ice. This was their miracle on grass, okay? And uh, I mean, it's, it's probably going to be a movie someday. And, uh, and so that was an easy way to connect with them just to talk about rugby. And, um, but uh, this is what I brought back to serve as a reminder, a visual reminder of the power of the gospel to totally transform an entire culture. When I first got there, I, I went into a souvenir shop, just kind of nosing around there, and I saw all those weird objects on the wall, and I was like, what is that? And so a guy came over, and, a Fijian guy, and, and, and I asked him what, what they were, and he told me they were weapons, and he proceeded to take them off the wall and show me how the Fijians used to use them to break necks, crush skulls, split your chest wide open, and, uh, and then he said, and then we would eat you. We'd cook you and eat you, and we, have, we particularly like white meat, he said. And he grabbed my skin and he started rubbing my arm and he said, and we still have a taste of it in our mouths. (laughs) And so the guy was kind of creeping me out a little bit and I wasn't sure if he was like seriously or just kidding with me, but uh, in order to uh, change the subject, (laughs) I said, how does a country of cannibals become some of the warmest, most gracious, friendly people on the earth? And before he could answer, I said, I think it has something to do with Jesus Christ. And he got a big old smile, and he said, oh, yes, he said, everyone's a Christian in Fiji, which kind of messed with my theology a little bit, <laughs> but I appreciated what he was saying. Um, obviously, not every person is a true believer, but according to the religious statistics, Fiji is 97% Christian. In other words, Christianity is the main religion in Fiji as opposed to Hinduism or Islam, um, And so it just got me thinking, this is a fascinating lesson in missiology or missions, right? How God used missionaries to reach a nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, again, I I wasn't very familiar with the history of Fiji, particularly the the spiritual history of Fiji. Um, I was more familiar with a guy named John Patton. Are you familiar with John Patton? Uh, He was a, a... a courageous missionary who brought the gospel to the New Hebrides Islands, uh, which is now uh, called Vanuatu, which is a chain of 80 islands uh, located about 750 miles west of Fiji, about an hour and a half plane flight. But uh, Patton was a contemporary of the missionaries from the London Missionary Society who God used to reach the Fijians with the light of the gospel. And so I knew enough about him to kind of connect the dots and put two and two together and go, oh, wait a minute, this was the same time. This was essentially the same part of the world and, and what was happening uh, in, in New Hebrides and all that he dealt with that I'd read about in the past is exactly what was going on 
uh, in Fiji. And so, again, it was fun just to kind of rehearse some of these things and kind of go back and brush up a little bit on, on what I knew about John Patton. And uh, the first two missionaries who landed on the islands in the New Hebrides in 1839 were killed and eaten by cannibals just minutes after they landed. Um, the London Missionary Society sent another team in 1842. These missionaries were driven out within seven months. But then, by God's grace, two missionaries saw some amazing fruit on one of the islands, and by 1854, over half the population of that one island had come to Christ, and so there was progress. And this is what was recorded. About 3,500 savages, as they were called, threw away their idols, renouncing their heathen customs, and avowing themselves to be worshipers of the true Jehovah God. That's the missionary update, if you will. In 1858, that's when Patton and his pregnant wife set sail for New Hebrides and arrived uh, on the same island where the first two missionaries were cannibalized as soon as they had gone ashore. And uh, they, they, they survived the initial landing, but five months later, both his wife and their newborn son died of a fever. And so he had to dig their own graves there on the beach, and he had to actually sleep on the graves at night so the islanders wouldn't come out and dig their bodies up and eat them. This is from Patton's biography, but which, by the way, uh, I would encourage you to write this down. Um, you will be eaten by cannibals. Lessons from the life of John G. Patton. And if you just go on uh, Google and Google that in, it'll pop you into Desiring God website. John Piper uh, originally preached that message back in the 80s to a pastor's conference, and now it's an article. It's an article form. But uh, I, I reread that article uh, yesterday, and I was brought to tears multiple times. Just some very moving things that he said, um, his heart for Christ, his, his, his theology, his, his trust in the Lord in the midst of trials, um, just very moving. And in fact, if you're kind of wishing you had something more for Father's Day today, I promise you, you read that article, there's a section in there where he honors his dad and talks about his dad's influence in his life. And uh, I mean, it just brought me to tears uh, reading about the love and, and respect he had for his father who, who had uh, prayed that he, ha he would have a son who would become a missionary. And he basically said, how could I ever do anything to dishonor such a man as my dad? And uh, just really moving. So I'd encourage you to read that. But this is from that article. This is his autobiography. Uh, just to give you a feel for this guy, after the death of his wife and, and, and first child, he said, but for Jesus and the fellowship he vouchsafed to me there, I must have gone mad and died beside the lonely grave. I felt her loss beyond all conception or description in that dark land. It was very difficult to be resigned, left alone, and in sorrowful circumstances, but feeling immovably assured that my God and Father was too wise and loving to err in anything he does or permits, I looked up to the Lord for help and struggled on in his work. That's good theology. And that's what has to kick in, right, when you go through such a significant loss as what he did. So he labored alone on that island for the next four years under constant danger. He was miraculously delivered on multiple occasions from countless threats on his life until he was eventually driven off the island by the natives in 1862. This is something he recorded in his autobiography. He said, a wild chief followed me around for four hours with his loaded musket. And though often directed towards me, God restrained his hand. I spoke kindly to him and attended to my work as if he had not been there. Can you imagine the guy walking around with a shotgun with his hand on the trigger saying, I'm going to kill you for four hours and you just forget he's there. You just go about your business. He said, I tended to my work as if he was not there, fully persuaded that my God had placed me there and he would protect me till my allotted task was finished. Looking up in unceasing prayer to our Lord Jesus, I left all in his hands and felt immortal till my work was done. He says, once when natives in large numbers were assembled at my house, a man furiously rushed on me with his axe, but a chief snatched a spade with which I had been working and defended me from instant death. Life 
in such circumstances led me to cling very near to the Lord Jesus? I guess so, right? I knew not for one brief hour when or how attack might be made, and yet with my trembling hand clasped in the hand of the once nailed, uh, in the hand once nailed on Calvary, and now swaying the scepter of the universe, calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. He said, when surrounded by raging natives who kept urging each other to strike the first blow, the assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevailed to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was held, vibrating to be thrown, not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ, who is all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature, animate and inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. You got to love that guy. He married again, 1864, took his new wife back, this time to another island where they labored together for 41 years until she died in 1905. Uh, that was when John Patton was 81, so same, year, same age as Dr. Nair. By God's grace, this daring couple saw the entire island turn to Christ. And even though ministering there was extremely dangerous and difficult, Patton said that what spurred him on was what the Lord was doing in the Fijian Islands. How thousands of cannibals had been converted to Christ in Fiji, and so if it, if it could happen in Fiji, it can happen here in, in New Hebrides. And again, I, I share all that. That was going on just an hour and a half plane flight away, right? In Fiji... The Fijians were the same way. They, they would eat the flesh of their defeated foes. They killed their babies. They actually sacrificed their widows so that they could serve their husbands in the next world. Can you imagine that? Your husband dies and they say, well, you're, we're going to kill you so you can be with him in the afterlife. Um, they were tribal. They, they were ruled by chiefs and priests, which would really better be described as warlords and witch doctors who wielded great power and influence over them. Uh, they lived in fear. Uh, they worshipped the spirits of their departed ancestors through idols and relics made of wood and stone. And um, each of their ancestors or gods had their own spirit house, uh, which was uh, served by a priest who was likely demon-possessed or at least under the influence of a liquid narcotic as he was ministering as the priest, and he would offer sacrifices to the ancestors and, and perform sacred rituals and maintain the sacred relics. And, and this was what re was referred to as the old religion. That's what the museum called it, the old religion. And, and then they had a big old sign that said the new religion, which was a description of the missionaries coming to Fiji with the gospel in the National Museum. It's so cool. In 1825, an appeal was sent to the London Missionary Society to send a missionary to Fiji, but Fiji had a bad reputation, obviously, um, not just for the savagery, but the shipwrecks there, and so that hindered evangelistic efforts. In 1832, Methodist missionaries uh, 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 answered the call uh, and used their already established mission in Tonga, which is on the east of the, the Fijian Islands. Um, kind of as a beachhead to reach Fiji. And this is a, this is a cool part of the story. Uh, after uh, a large number of Tongans repented of their sin and received Christ, they immediately had a burden for their neighboring islands. And they're like, let's take the gospel to the Fijians. I mean, that's convicting, right? When's the last time you had a burden, right? To say, hey, I'm, I'm saved, that's good, I'm glad. I, but I don't want to just sit here and study the Bible for the rest of my life, I want to go reach other people with the gospel. And that was their heart. And so it was the Tongans, the, the natives, who, who really, in, in many ways, built the bridge for the foreign missionaries to bring the gospel to, um, to, the, to the Fijian Islands. I read uh, Pramin, that the gentleman uh, who's there serving at Fiji Bible College, wrote a, a paper while he was in seminary, at the Master Seminary, about the arrival of Christianity to Fiji. And I'll, this is a quote from, from it. He, he actually said that when the first missionaries arrived in Fiji, they said that you could smell blood in the air. 
Literally, you could smell blood in the air because of how brutal these people were. They're just murdering one another. And, and the natives would, would cook the bodies of their victims over an open fire purposely right outside the tents and the huts of the missionaries. And they would threaten them with death if they tried to cover up their windows to keep out the stench of the roasting human flesh. It was their kind of way to scare them away, is what they were trying to do. Like, hey, if you put that window down or whatever, you're going to be next. Ladies, can you imagine? A little different than your little fixer-upper house, right, that you're hoping for. Uh, I mean, just a, a totally different world that these people lived in. Eventually, after 20 years of faithful ministry, by the year 1854, many of the chiefs and the priests got saved. That was the key, right? At first, they were like, hey, you're taking away our influence. They didn't like it. Let's run these guys off. Let's kill these guys. But then some of them got saved, and then that kind of softened the whole country up when, when your leaders, right, get saved. And so that led to a wide-scale acceptance of and conversion to Christianity throughout Fiji. So all that to say, listen, a little over 150 years ago, the Vijayan people were, were eating, killing, and eating any outsider who came to one of their islands. And now if you go there, they warmly welcome you with a big smile and a hearty, Bula, that's their hello, Bula. That was like they couldn't be happier to see you. And they humbly grab anything you're carrying and they want to take it from you and they want to serve you and, and they'll, they'll take you anywhere you want to go. And in other words, if you went to Fiji 150 years ago, they would have served you for dinner, literally. But since the gospel has changed that culture, now they serve you dinner. And uh, I mean, you couldn't even help sitting at the resort and not be moved by these very tall, muscular guys with their little man skirts coming out to you with their little tray and they had your little fish and chips or your little Coke or whatever you had ordered and they set it down so gently and they ask you if there's anything else you need and I'm thinking if that dude had war paint on and a, one of those clubs in his hand, I would be booking it because they're just intimidating looking guys but they're so, they're like gentle giants because of the gospel and it's just amazing. I mean, I think most importantly, they're not just serving tourists, they're serving Christ. They're serving and worshiping the one true God. Why? All because some Christians were obedient to Christ's call to go into all the world and preach the gospel to those blindly enslaved to their sin, living in darkness, so that they could give glory and praise and honor to the one true God. Believe it or not, John Patton was discouraged from becoming a missionary in the New Hebrides Islands. One of uh, his well-meaning elders, of all people, uh, tried to persuade him not to go. And he said, quote, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. To which Patton famously said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, they are to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day of my resurrection body, in the great day my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. I hope that your heart, like mine this morning, is feeling stirred up for missions and evangelism. And if a guy like John Patton had the guts to share the gospel with a cannibal at the risk of his own life, can't, don't you think we can maybe share the gospel with a family member or a neighbor or a coworker or a classmate or somebody at Walmart or wherever you go. I mean, they're not going to kill us, are they? 
Over the past few months, I have been personally convicted that uh, I've just lost my passion for lost people and my burden to share the gospel with them. And, and um, I haven't been praying for and looking for and taking advantage of opportunities to, to share the gospel with unbelievers. And thankfully, God has just used a number of different things to bring that to the forefront of my mind and my life. And, and uh, this, this trip probably being the, the cherry on top of it all, going, this is where I want you to be thinking and living and being. And, and so from the moment we got on the plane in L.A. to the time we got back, we, by the grace of God, tried to take advantage of every opportunity that came across our path to talk to people about Jesus. And we got on the plane in L.A. and we squeezed into the row with this gal who was sitting there, a college-age gal, and she was talking on the phone, and she was very loud and, and just complaining about, you know, how much she didn't like flying and that she was never going to fly again. And, and, and just, and Kelly and I looked at each other like, okay, this is going to be a wild trip, you know. And, uh, and so anyway, after she got off the phone and we got, took off, I struck up a conversation with her and got to know her a little bit and come to find out this was the first time she had ever flown she was flying from Florida to L.A. To, to meet up with a guy that she had met on the internet and she was going to live with him. And the thing that she was most excited about was getting to, to smoke marijuana legally and start her modeling career. In, in other words, that's another way of saying she desperately needed Christ, right? And so Brian McKenzie, when he was here uh, a few weeks back, right, for the golf tournament in our, in our, in our um, last Man Up breakfast, really challenged me personally, just for, not personally, but directly, but just watching his life. And he, he talked about the woman at the well and where's your well and who, who do you, where do you go to be around unbelievers that you can share the gospel with? I'm thinking, I don't know. I spend most of my waking hours with believers. That's my job. I'm a pastor, and, right? And, and, and so then, you know, how we need to strike up deliberate conversations with people about the gospel and, and, um, and, and then he modeled it. He, he, we, we went, took him out to dinner, Kelly and I, and the waitress came, and she, she, she dropped our food off, and she said, is there anything else I can get you? And he just looked up at her with a big smile, just like Brian is, and he, he said, hey, we were going to pray for our food. Is there anything we could pray for you about? And the waitress immediately started getting tears in her eyes, and she shared with us kind of in an embarrassing way that somebody in her family was hurting. Um, she wanted us to pray for them, and, and, and we said we would love to pray. And so Brian just grabbed her hand, and I grabbed her hand, and we just started praying for her. And I mean, at the end, she was kind of a, a apologizing. And, and uh, but w- what a simple way to, to 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 evangelize, right? Just to make an impact for Christ. Asking that simple question when we go out to eat today, maybe at lunch for Father's Day. Ask the waitress that question. Hey, we're about to pray. Is there anything we can pray for you about? You never know what's going to come from that simple question. Um, you wouldn't believe the things that came from it in Fiji because Michael Seahusen was doing the same thing. And everywhere we went, hey, is there anything we can pray for you about? And they would actually, it's a much more laid back culture, right? They would actually come, he'd invite them, and they'd sit down and talk with us and kind of unburden their life and give us a whole long prayer list. And then they would sit there and we would pray together with them. And it was just an amazing experience. And, and, um, and so anyway, I'm back to this, this, this sweet uh, college-age gal, could have been our daughter, sitting next to us, and, and after just listening to her talk about her life, I, I just, I, I thought, I'm going to use something that Brian said that he does sometimes. He, he sometimes, he just asks people, hey, have you ever heard of John 3.16? He'll just come out and ask people, have you ever heard of John 3.16? I'm going to try that. So I, she stopped and said, hey, can I ask you a question? She said, yeah. I said, have you ever heard of John 3.16? She said, no. I said, well, can I tell you what it is? She said, sure. So I quoted John 3.16 and then launched into the gospel. And by the time we landed in LA, she had tears in her eyes and she was just like, wow, I've never heard anything like that. And, and um, I feel like I'm sitting right next to you for a reason and God is wanting to have a relationship with me. I'm like, exactly. That every person that we come in contact with every day is a divine appointment that God sovereignly directs our lives, right? And our spheres of influence to impact people, influence people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, I got more that I wanted to share, but how about this in closing? I want to give us all a challenge for this summer because you don't have to go on a short-term mission trip to Honduras or 
Peru, right, or Fiji or Hong Kong, uh, Uganda, to be a part of God's worldwide mission to bring people to become true worshipers of Christ. That, that was Christ's mission. That should be our mission as Christians. And so you, you don't have to, you can do it right here. And so how about this? How about we wake up every morning this summer and pray a short, simple prayer? And here it is. God, would you please give me an opportunity to share the gospel with someone today? Amen. Can you pray that? God, would you, would you give me an opportunity to share the gospel with someone today? Amen. I promise you that's a prayer that God's going to answer. I can't think of a, another prayer he would rather answer than that prayer. Oh, you want to help others become true worshipers of me? I'll have them lined up. You watch. Every part of your day, there'll be somebody lined up, a divine appointment for you to talk with about Jesus. So let's do that. I'm going to attempt to do that, and I would encourage you to attempt to do it. Let's see what happens. And we could make an impact for Christ, not just in Fiji, right, but in Lake Conroe and in Montgomery for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the way you use missions and evangelism to stir up more missions and evangelism. Lord, you use John Patton to stir up many others um, to go on the mission field like he and his wife. And I pray, Lord, that the comments that we've made today in brief would stir all of us up, Lord, to want to be more faithful evangelists right here at home in this community. Lord, that you would give us a passion and a burden for lost people and that you would give us many opportunities this summer when we all have a little bit more time maybe, our schedules aren't so packed, a little more relaxed, not so hurried and busy, that we would take the time to talk to people and to build relationships with people and ask them questions and pray with them and, and, and uh, evangelize them for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.